Welcome to the C12 Podcast. C12 is a college and young adult ministry where 20-somethings at 12 Stone Church gather on Thursday nights. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Hey, well guys, I'm, man, I'm so excited about being here. And just a, a quick thought, I'm about to make 90% of the room mad, but I'm predicting Tennessee to win the game for you two, three Tennessee fans in here. I'm a bulldog. I'm a, I graduated from Mississippi State, totally different bulldog. But yeah, but Tennessee, I think it's going to win. But anyway, we're going to be about Jesus today and not about a football game. But I'm excited about this series. I love what Jesus says so clearly. Like you could tell a tree by its fruit. And we have a lot of Christians in our culture today that, you know, raise the hand, yeah, I'm a Christian, but like we don't see it in their lives. And Jesus is clear, like you're going to see it. You can't just say it, like you're going to see it. And I love the imagery he uses. You're going to see a fruit. You can tell a fruit by its, by its tree. You can tell a tree by its fruit. Like I know an apple tree when I see it. Why? Because there's apples on it. Like I know an orange tree when I see it because there's oranges on it. And it's not the perfect apple tree. There are rotten apples on it. That means you always get it right, but we can tell a tree by its fruit. And the fruit we're going to look at tonight is one I think is really important for our culture today, and it's about faithfulness. So here's how I want to lead in. I want you to, I want you to meet my family. Uh, this is my wife as it comes up. My wife, Bethany, she's in the back. Everybody say, hey, Bethany, in the back. That's embarrassing her. And we got two little girls, Leora and Karis, who are six and four. Now, our, I know. Oh, they're, they're the best. Anyway, um, so uh, they've got two little girls, and they're interested in a lot of things. But one of the things that they've been really interested in lately are Disney movies. How many of you are Disney movie fans? You got Disney Plus? You're all in. Okay, so let me just be honest. Like, I was never a Disney person. Like, even as a kid, I didn't watch Disney movies. If I was in front of a TV, like, I was watching sports. So, like, this whole Disney thing is, like, literally a whole new world. Like, a whole new world. Like, you, you, you see what I did there? Like, you caught that, right? So, like, it literally is, like, a whole new world to me. And, look, Disney's fascinating. We'll watch some of, like, the really old ones and the new ones and the ones in between. Like, it's really well done. I'm like, what have I been missing? But one thing I've known about Disney movies, I've learned, Disney movies are devastatingly sad. Do you know that? You agree? Like, why are they sad? Because within the first 15 or 20 minutes, somebody is dying. And it's not like some odd character. It's like someone you grow to love in 15 minutes and then boom, they're dead. And here I got a six-year and four-year-old losing their mind, crying. I'm like, we're going to have to pay for like trauma and grief therapy for the rest of their lives because of Disney movies. So I'm looking for like Disney movies all the time that somebody doesn't die in. There's like five of them. Ratatouille's one of our go-to. Any Ratatouille people? Like three of you, that's one. And then there's an older one that I found. I say older for me because I'm old. But there's an older one I found that was kind of in the early 2000s called The Emperor's Groove. Anybody know about that one? Oh, well, all right, all right. That, I wasn't expecting that. So you know, so you, you know the storyline then, right? You have this emperor who's got this villain that he works with that doesn't like him, and she wants to kill him. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, why am I letting my kids watch this? But so she, she poisons the emperor. So she thinks he turns into a, is it a camel or a llama? I always wrestle. It's a llama. So she turns into a llama and they think that he's dead. Now the villains got her little sidekick. Who's kind of this gullible, naive guy. His name is, you can do better than that. His name is right? And so he's got the, the task of like taking the body and getting rid of it. And then he finds out along the way that the emperor is actually not dead, right? So he knocks him out. He doesn't really know what to do, but now he's in this moral dilemma. Like, do I go ahead and kill the guy like he was intended to, or do I just like leave him alone? He'll be fine. And, and we'll pretend like nothing ever happened. And he's in the midst of this moral dilemma. And I want to show you the clip. Take a look. I'm not just going to let him die like that, are you? I'm shoulder angel. 
Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. You. 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 You infinity. Ah. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one. Look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp. And you know it. All right. That's a harp. And that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two. Look what I can do. <laughs> but what does that have to do with me? No, no. He's got a point. Listen, you guys. You're sort of confusing me, so, uh, be gone. Uh, or, uh, you know, however I get rid of you guys. That'll work. So the first time I'm watching this with my kids, like, they're dying out laughing. They think the whole angel demon thing is hilarious. And, uh, yeah, it is funny. You're right. But, like, they're laughing. And then I get all, like, pastor dad. And my kids are six and four. But sometimes I get, like, overheated being a pastor. I'm like, no, 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 kids. Like, that's not really funny because, you know, like, that's real life. That's what happens. Of course, they don't get that, right? They're just laughing and funny. But, like, you guys get this, right? Like, this sounds familiar, does it not? There you go, it's right. And it feels like real life, does it not? Like that we have this, we have two voices inside of us, it feels like all the time, right? Like this one voice that's trying to lead us to do the right thing and we hear it, we sense it, we feel it. And then there's another voice that often is leading us to do the wrong thing. And this is not just a Disney concept, this is actually a biblical concept. In fact, Paul, who is one of the apostles, a little bit later on, he writes most of the New Testament. We would consider the Apostle Paul one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. Even the Apostle Paul dealt with this dilemma and dealt with this struggle in his own soul. In fact, listen to what he has to say. Let's, let's look at this. By the way, this is also one of the hardest passages to read in the Bible. Listen to what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin who's living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Like, we get this, right? That there's this, like, constant battle and tension within our heart, within our soul, within our minds, within our life. That we know that there's one direction that we're supposed to go, but there's this other direction we know we don't need to go, but yet we tend to drift that way. Like, this is our story, too. Like, we find ourselves constantly, like, we know what we want to do. We know what, deep down what we need to do, and yet we don't do it, right? And we know there are things that we shouldn't do. We know there are things that we don't need to do, and yet somehow... We find ourselves drifting that way constantly. I, I actually saw this recently a little bit more lighthearted way in, in our four-year-old. Uh, I had made an amazing, my wife was out working one night. I'd made this amazing dinner of hot dogs and pizza. Amen. Amazing dinner. And uh, so I made it. I set it up nice at the kids' table. The girls were playing in our living room on the floor. And I said, all right, girls, it's, it's time for dinner. Now, my six-year-old is my wife. She is sweet. She's compassionate, submissive, do whatever you say. Like, that's just who she is. So she gets up off the floor. She goes to the table, and she goes and eats. And my four-year-old is a punk. She's like me. She's stubborn. She's independent. I love her for it. But, like, we, we get each other. And she just stays on the floor and continues to play her toys. And I look at her, and I say, Karis, it's time to eat. Let's leave. And she just looks at me and just starts playing again. I'm like, all right, I see how it is. And so I say, okay, Karis, it is time to go eat. Like, leave your toy and let's go. And she's just like, no. 
And I was like, now this is when it's about to get real. And I go to her, I get down, I'm like, Karis, we're going to eat dinner right now. It is time to put your toy in the toy box and come to the table. And here's what she does. She stomps over to the toy box. She opens it up. She throws the toy in. She slams it down. And she starts, four-year-old, by the way, totally me. She starts walking towards the table, and she stops halfway. And I love what plays out next. She looks at me, that pouty, angry look. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody do their pouty, angry look. You know what I'm talking about? Like, And then she looks back over at the box. And she looks back at me with that pouty, angry look. And you tell, like, I love what's happening, by the way, in this moment. She's like, looks back at the box. And then she thinks I'm not looking, so she starts creeping back towards the box. I'm like, Karis? She thinks I'm not looking again, so she starts creeping back towards the box. Like, Karis, don't go there. You better not. Then she starts walking towards the table because it's the right thing to do. And then she stops again. Starts walking back towards the box. And finally, I just had enough. Like, it's got, like, I let this go on for a while. But like, Karis, you cannot play with a toy. It is time to eat dinner to the table. She finally eats, and that's the moral of the story. But, but we get this, right? Isn't this our story, too? Like, when you and I say yes to Jesus, and we give our life to him, here's essentially what we do. We, we go to the toy box, and we put our old life in the toy box. We put our old mindsets. We put our old ways. We put our own thoughts. We put our, but our old behaviors, our old way of life in the toy box, and we close it shut. And then we start walking towards Jesus and the life that he's called us to. We start heading in that direction. And somewhere as we head in that direction, don't we stop? And we start to look back. And there's something within us that's drawing us back towards the box. And we're like, no, I'm supposed to go this way, but I, but I really want to go back. And maybe for some of us in a moment in life, we kind of get paralyzed. We don't really know what to do, so we just kind of stand still. We're not really moving forward, but we're not moving backwards. Maybe some of you are there tonight. But then sometimes we start to go back. We catch ourselves. We're like, no, no, I, I, I'm supposed to go this way. And then yet, but no, I really, really want this. And maybe for some of us, we actually get back to the box. And we open it up. We start pulling back that old stuff again. And they realize, no, I don't want this. I don't need this. This is not good for me. We put it back and we start go back towards Jesus. We're like, no, no, no. Like, I, I still want this back. You get it? Like, I do all the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And maybe for some of you tonight, this is your story. Maybe there are certain sins and struggles right now in your life that you gave up a long time ago. And yet, as you were walking back towards Jesus, something clicked within you. Like, no, no, but I, but I want that back. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's a way that you think about life. Maybe it's a, a job. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's about being popular. What is that for you? And maybe for some of you, you're in a season, it's not like one center struggle, but you're like, nah, bro, like I want the whole box. Let's just get this thing going. And what happens in the midst of that struggle is after a while, when we keep going back and forth, a lot of times we reach the point where we've just had enough. We find ourselves saying, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the back and forth. I'm tired of messing up all the time. Like, why do I keep doing this? Like, why do I keep living this way? I don't know if I want to live this way anymore. In fact, if, to make you feel better if you're there, the Apostle Paul actually gets to that place too. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, 24, watch this. 
Paul says this, what wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Do you hear that? Gosh, I'm wretched. I'm terrible. Like, I'm not living life the way it's meant to be. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm living a deathly life. I'm a terrible person. Like, why do I keep doing this? And here's the big question that Paul is asking in this, the question we're going to address tonight, and it's simply this. How can I live faithfully? How can I be faithful? That's the big question that we're looking at tonight. And Paul ironically starts to, to answer the question, actually in the midst of the question. You know how sometimes you start to answer your own question when you ask it? Like Paul starts to do that. And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to look back to Paul's story just a few minutes ago that we talked about. When he said, I do all the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. You'll notice in that, that framework he uses I a lot, right? I this, I that, I, 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 I. And what you start to pick up in those, those few verses is that Paul, when he's trying to live for Jesus, that's great. But he's operating on the mindset, man, it's all on me. I get that. Um, a little bit about my story. I, I grew up in high school going to church. My dad was a pastor. He was a part-time pastor, so I like to joke that I wasn't like as crazy as the other pastor's kids were because he was part-time. But I grew up in a church, grew up at home. And, man, I loved, even in high school, I was that kid. Like, I loved being in the church. Like, I loved following Jesus. Like, it wasn't a thing for me. And then I go to college my freshman year at Mississippi State, and I started to not get completely off the rails like sometimes people do in their freshman year, but I started to drift that way. Got into a fraternity. I was working with the basketball team in Mississippi State. My head got incredibly big and just prideful. And thankfully, the Lord in his goodness and kindness, man, he confronted me with that at the end of my first semester, my freshman year. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. But what the Lord was very clear on, he was like, Frank, like you have two options. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. Like you've either got to be all in or all out. Those are your only two options. And for me, I knew like I wanted to be all in. So I changed a lot of things in my life. I started making a lot more different decisions. And by, that was kind of that, that, that huge moment for me where my life changed forever. But I want you to flash forward to a year. I was to the end of my, my first semester of my sophomore year. And I'd been now spending a year like really chasing after Jesus. I'd put everything in the toy box and I was moving ahead towards him. And I was in that place where I started to feel stuck. Because here's where I was, just like Paul. Like, I knew I wanted to chase Jesus, but yet I kept wanting to go back to the toy box. I kept wanting to pick up a lot of things in my old life. And I started to get to that place where Paul was like, what wretched man am I? I'm terrible. Like, why can't I get this right? And guys, I was so defeated in my Christian life. Even the point I was wondering, like, do I really want to do this? Maybe some of you are there tonight. And praise God that that Christmas break, I was, I was asked to work a Christian retreat for students. And, I, man, I didn't want to go. If you've ever been in that place where you're not filling up the stuff, like you don't feel right with the Lord, like you just don't want to do much, you get that. Like I just wanted to go home, sit, and do nothing. But, man, the Lord, again, in his kindness and mercy was like, you need to go do this. And my job, cool enough, was actually to, like, pick up the speaker from the airport and hang out with him. And this guy's name was Bay Forrest. Bay Forrest was a, an NBA basketball player in the 70s. He was seven feet tall. I had, like, this small BMW. I had to open up the sunroof for him to even fit in. And Bay and I just, man, right off the bat, we hit it off because we were both basketball guys. So we were driving down the road. We were talking basketball. We were talking life. And there was something about that car ride, man, that just drew me to him. I was like, man, I really like this guy. And then I heard him speak the first night. He started to share his story, which was a lot of this story. And guys, I, I don't know about you, but there was something within me that said, like, I have to talk to this guy. He's got something for me that I need. 
And what's hard about that for me is I'm a, I'm a very prideful guy. I like to look good. I like to feel good. So I don't like to share people, like share with people my junk. I don't know if you're there, but I'm one of those personalities. So I kept saying, no, no, I need to look good in front of Bay. I need, to, I need Bay to think like I'm an awesome Christian. Like I can't share that stuff with him. But the Lord was like, no, you got to share it with him. And so finally I pulled Bay aside. I sat him down in this room. And I was like, Bay, I know you got work to do, man. I know you're supposed to be here for students, man. But can I just unload on you for about 20 minutes? And he was like, sure. And man, I just started dumping all of the struggle, like everything I was struggling with, everything I was wanting to go back to. Like I just laid it all out on him. And man, I was just praying like Bay was going to give me like these compassionate words of wisdom. And here's what Bay did, no joke. He just started laughing at me. Like seven footer, like, <laughs> if he wasn't seven foot, I definitely would have punched him in the face right there. So I'm like, bro, I just shared like my whole life with you and you're laughing at me. And here's what he did. He looked at me and he said, Frank, you're trying to live a Jesus-sized life without Jesus. How stupid is that? And then he did something for me I'll never forget. He was sitting across from me, seven foot, giant hands. He said, and he put them on my shoulder and he said, Frank, I'm going to tell you something. And I, just for a moment, I, I want you not to imagine it's me. Like, I need you to imagine this is God saying this to you. He says, I want you to shut your eyes. He put his hands on my shoulder. He had this deep voice, so it was kind of easy to, like, hear God in him. And he said this, Frank, you can't. But I never said you could. I can. And I always said that I would. You cannot live a Jesus-sized life without Jesus. And yet, over and over, we try again. Paul writes in verse 25, go back to that, he says this. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And you know what Paul's answer was? It's pretty simple. What was it? Jesus. It was Jesus. This, guys, don't miss this. The same Jesus that got you over the starting line is the same Jesus that's going to be with you and get you to the race and get you to the finish line and get you over the finish line. The same Jesus that, that got you through the door, forgave you of your sins, got you into the new life, is the same Jesus that's actually going to get you to actually live out that new life. It's the same one. But how foolish we are sometimes that we think this Jesus that, that gets us into the door, that we can leave him out the door when we try to live the Christian life and we can live it without him. Because we can't do that. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.3, 3, he writes this. We have it up here. He says, are you so foolish that after beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You hear what he's saying? Like, you started with the Spirit. Jesus is the one that got you through the door, and now you've left him at the door to try to live for him. It doesn't work that way. Friends, at the end of the day, this is so important. Don't miss this. Willpower will only take you so far. Because every single person in this room, including me, like, you've only got so much power. I don't care how strong you are. You've only got so much power. You've only got so much strength. You've only got so much knowledge and wisdom. And eventually, you're going to hit a wall. Eventually, you're going to get to a place where there's no more left. And trust me, guys, Satan is absolutely willing to wait you out till you bleed out so he can pluck you out. He's willing to wait. If you want to be faithful, and I think you do, that's why you're here tonight. You need more than willpower. You need his power. If you want to be faithful, you need more than your plan. You need his plan. If you want to be faithful, you need more than just your wisdom. You need his wisdom. 
And hear this, if you need faithfulness and you want to live faithfulness, you need more than your faithfulness, you need his faithfulness. So what does that look like practically, right? Like I can give you this 50,000 foot view, but like how do you actually live that out day to day? So I'm going to give you three things from Romans 8. So if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to take your note, pull out your phone. Like this is going to be really important stuff. So we're going to transition to Romans 8. And just a heads up, Romans 8 is like one of the best chapters of the Bible ever. If you've ever like never read through Romans 8, like just get there tonight and read it. In fact, a, a study was done, a survey that if you could take one chapter of the Bible with you on a desert island, as if we're ever going to be trapped on a desert island by ourselves, by the way. But if you could take one chapter of the Bible with you on a desert island, the, the most used chapter was actually Romans 8. It's that good. And it's in Romans 8 that Paul begins to show us how to live faithfully. And here's the first thing he tells us ultimately is this. Number one, if you want to live faithfully, you got to remember and rest in forgiveness. If you want to live faithfully, you got to remember and rest in forgiveness. Guys, there's so many places like Paul could have started in Romans. So many things he could have suggested. And yet the place he starts, oddly enough, is with a reminder and a promise, which is this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me? What? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, when you give your life to Jesus, when you say yes to the work that he's done on the cross for you, here's what happens in your life. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You know that, right? Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. Once and for all, Hebrews says, they are all forgiven. And when they get all forgiven, you're no longer condemned. In other words, you're never shut out from the kingdom. You're never shunned away from Jesus. You don't have this title on you now that you're not good enough. You're not worthy of being in his presence. You get conviction. Praise God for conviction, right? But you're no longer condemned. In fact, Paul later on says, you're not condemned. You're actually a child. Like, you're now in the family, like, I remember the first time, like, I, I held my daughter for the first time. Like, that first moment where I, like, I held, like, one of my own. And all I could remember in that moment was, like, I, you're driving me, like, so many things about you right now, like, should just not be good. Like, you're crying like crazy. You just gave my wife a significant amount of pain. My hospital bill is going up by the minute. I, like, on paper, like, I should not be excited about you at all. And yet, when I held her for the first time, I looked at her and I said, you're the most precious thing ever. And I will love you forever, and I will fight for you forever, and I will always be there for you. And that's how Jesus feels about you. When you say yes, you're not condemned, you're a child. You're forgiven. And that's great news, but when it comes to faithfulness, why, why would Paul start there? That doesn't seem like the starting place for this conversation. But it's actually significant, and here's why. Because the moment that you forget, don't miss this, church. The moment that you forget that you are forgiven and you're not condemned, you start walking your Christian life in a place of defeat and not victory. You start walking in shame and you start walking in guilt. And here's what I've found to be true. Whenever you start walking in, in shame and guilt, Whenever you start walking in a place of defeat and not victory, whenever you start to get to that place, you cannot live a Jesus-sized life without Jesus. And Jesus is never in condemnation. He's never in guilt. He's never in shame. Whenever we start walking, here's what else I know to be true. Whenever you start walking in a place of condemnation and guilt and shame, it is the quickest road back into a deeper and even quicker way of living that I life we just talked about. You remember that? 
See, whenever you're walking in guilt and shame, you, got, you get back to that place where you feel like you got to earn that relationship with God back again. And so you start doing these things, and you start to get back in the rat race. i got to earn it, but I, I want to do it, but I can't do it. And you start living that life again. And eventually, when you try to earn it, most people start to eject. You get to that place, you know what? I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this. I can't. I found this to be true for me about 15 years ago, and this is probably sharing a lot, but I think you guys can handle it. Um, But 15 years ago, I was in seminary, actually, training to be a pastor. And if I'm being honest in this room, like, I I was struggling, borderline addicted with pornography. I would go to class, study New Testament and Old Testament and church history and how to be pastor, and then I would come home and I'd pull up my computer. And I would go through like what a lot of you guys go to. You get it. Like you, you, you do it. You make the mistake and you realize, God, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it. You've ever made that promise? God, I promise you I'll never do this again. And I might have a good run for a day or two or maybe even a week. That's a good week. And then I, yet I keep going back. And I found myself in that spot again. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I'm not doing the things I want to do. And I knew that if I wanted to find healing, like I had to share that with somebody. So I, I had, thankfully, a group of friends I could share that with. But, but also I sensed the Lord saying, hey, you need to share this with someone older, someone that might can guide you. And so I, I shared this with someone who just became a mentor to me. And one of the things he reminded me, he shared this with me. He said, Frank, you know, one of the things that the Bible talks about and even psychological studies talk about is like this, this circular pattern when it comes to guilt and shame. You make a mistake, which we all do, whether it's pornography, alcohol, something in a relationship, bad decisions. You make a mistake, and then you begin to feel guilt and shame. And you feel that weight long enough, you got to cope with it, right? You want to get rid of it. You want to feel good again. So guess what you go back to to feel good again? The very thing that got you there in the first place. Maybe some of you are in that cycle right now. And, and he said, look, man, you got to do all the work. Like, you need, to, you need to get, like, the stuff on your computer. You need to get rid of some stuff. You need to have the accountability partners. Like, you're doing all that, but there's one thing that you're not doing, and that is you're not dealing with the guilt and shame. And he pointed me to, to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And here's what happened, guys. I'd love to say that was my moment of healing and freedom, and I never went back to it again. But I made the mistake again. But when I did it this time, instead of living in guilt and shame, I said, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then it happened again. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Then it happened again. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But all of a sudden, I looked up, and about six months later, I wasn't doing it anymore. And 15 years later, I've never looked back. And the, Yeah, you clap for that. You cannot live a Jesus-sized life when you're walking in guilt and shame because Jesus is not in it. He's not in it. And the good news of the gospel is you don't have to walk in guilt and shame because when Jesus went to the cross for you and you said yes to his work on your behalf, you are no longer in condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And here's what I believe this morning or tonight. There's a lot of you right now, you're struggling to be faithful simply because you're still walking in guilt and shame that you don't have to. It's time to let it go because Jesus is sitting in it. Amen? All right, let's move to the second one. This was a big one. Faithfulness requires choosing God's plan. So um, the idea of like the angel and the demon that we just watched, it's, it's kind of not really a real thing. Paul actually had different language for it. He calls it in the Bible the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And let me explain what that means. 
When we talk about the Spirit, that's actually what Paul means by that is that is Christ in us. When you say yes to Jesus, like the fullness of Christ, like his power, his presence, like his, his conviction, like his wisdom, like all of that literally comes to live inside of you. So you have that. But the bad news in the story is like the flesh doesn't go away. And the flesh is not literally the skin, right? But it's, it's kind of a play on words. It's Paul's way of saying there's that something inside of us that wants to live against God, that rejects God, that wants to go our own way, that wants to do our own thing, that wants to do it within our own power. And Paul says in the Bible that these two things exist within the Christian, and they are at constant battle and war and conflict with each other. In fact, listen to how he words it here in Galatians. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, that part that's inside of you, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. If I can for a minute, can I I just be blunt? Are you guys good with that? Here's what Paul is saying. If Paul were like sitting here just kind of being pastoral, here's what I think he'd say to us. Guys, I get that there's a battle. I get there's this war raging in your heart and your soul to do things you don't want to do and not do things you want. Like, he's like, I totally get that. Like, I, I just shared my story with you. Like, I understand that. But here's what I'm also telling you. I'm telling you that you're to walk by the Spirit. That term walk, by the way, in the Greek, is, it's not like an encouraging word. Like, hey, you should really consider this. Like, this is a good idea. Come on with me. That's not what he's saying. It's as intensive a command as it can be. I'm telling you, I get it, but walk by the Spirit. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. I get there's a conflict in your heart and soul when it comes to life. I get it. But here's the deal. When it comes to living faithfully, if you want to live faithfully, it's still on you. It's your choice. It is. It's your choice. You, I, we have to take personal responsibility to live faithfully. You cannot blame anybody else. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? But here's the deal. No one, no thing is forcing you to be disobedient and to live unfaithfully. No one, no thing is forcing you to live faithfully. Not even God himself is literally forcing you to live faithfully. At the end of the day, it's your choice. Now, there are certainly things in your life that are pushing you and motivating you and tempting you to go this way or go that way. That is absolutely true, and those things we have to deal with at times. But when it all comes down to it, to the root of it, at the end of the day, we have to understand we make the choice. We can't blame other stuff. We can't blame that voice in our life. We can't blame that person. We can't blame that temptation. Yes, it's there, and it motivates, and it influences. I get it. I feel it, too. But at the end of the day, it's still a choice. It's your choice whether or not you want to be faithful. It's your choice. And I thought about this as I was preparing. Like I was like, well, I can spend a lot of time thinking about all the motivations that can like stray you away. But I actually want to do the opposite. Paul actually in Romans lists two particular motivations to live faithfully. Here's the first one. Like write this down. It's so important. Number one, faithfulness is an obligation. Hear me, church. The first and the main reason we should be faithful is because God is so faithful and good to us. Hear me. That while you and I were sinners, rejecting God, doing our own thing, going our own way, could care less about God, what did God do? God came down off his throne. And he took on human flesh. And he lived the life that you and I couldn't live, didn't live. And instead of going back up to heaven after that, said, see you guys, see, I did it. Sucks for you guys. You can't do it, but I did it. He goes to a cross. 
And on that cross, he takes on the life we did live. He takes on your sin. He takes on your guilt. He takes on your shame. He takes on the punishment that we deserve. And he dies a painful, gruesome death. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Amen? Can we get excited about that? Three days later, he rises from the dead. And he just says, if you'll just believe in me, believe in what I did for you, then you can have my life. You don't have to do a bunch of things. You don't have to make up for what you've done. All you have to do is say yes to me. Like, that's literally it. And what's cool is God continues to chase after us. He continues to come after us. Even when we fail, even when we go back to the toy box, he doesn't give up on us. Paul later on says in Romans that nothing, literally no sin, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. If that's all that Jesus ever gives you, that's more than enough to be faithful. If you don't get the life that you want, if you don't get the husband or the wife that you want, if you don't get the job that you want, if you don't get to live the magical suburb life, I live in the suburb, it's not that great, by the way. Like, if you don't get to live in the house, you don't get to drive the car that you want, you don't take all the trips that you want to take, whatever. Like, that's okay. But even if you don't get those things, Jesus is still worthy of being faithful to because what he did for us on the cross, friends, is more than enough. More than enough. And Paul says in Romans, he says, it's an obligation. But here's the other part that I love is faithfulness is not just an obligation. I don't know if you know this, but faithfulness is actually life-giving. It literally brings us life. So faithfulness is not just a personal obligation. There's a personal benefit to this. You know this, right? The Bible teaches like we're faithful when we do things God's way, when we follow his word, when we say yes to him, and we actually step in that direction. Jesus says, that's the place, guys, that you actually find life. Right? You find it abundantly. You find the life that you were created for, that you were meant for. What Jesus says is literally the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, come down on earth, come down in your life. You get to experience the kingdom of heaven now while you wait for the fullness of heaven later. Like we get that in life. You get to experience that in relationships and dating and at work, the best that life has to offer when we're faithful with Jesus. Like that's the, that's the joy. And you may hear that and you think, well, Frank, if that's what we get, then, man, why is there not a line out the door to follow Jesus? Like, we should all want that. That sounds great. Sign me up. And here's why. Because before we experience the blessings of faithfulness, we'll often experience the cost and the loss first. And most of us in this room, even, and most of us in the church are not willing to wait out the cost and the loss to experience the blessing. In fact, Jesus even said in the gospel, he said, man, if you want to follow me, if you want to be faithful, if you want to come after me, what does he say? You have to what? Deny yourself. You have to deny the things that your flesh, what you want to do. You got to take up your cross. He says, in other words, you don't just have to deny yourself. He actually ups the ante. You got to die to self, literally let it go, and then follow me. And then he says this next, if you want to save your life, what are you going to do? Remember this? What does he say? If you want to save your life, you're going to what? You're going to lose it. How many of you are there right now tonight? He says if, you want to, if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to pay the cost, then you're going to find it. But the reason a lot of us are not faithful is because before you experience the blessing, you're going to experience the cost and the loss, and we're not willing to wait out the cost and the loss to receive the blessing. And here's why I want to dig in a little bit deeper. Because in the moments of cost and loss, here, guess what rises to the top? 
a little thing called fear and anxiety. Are you familiar with fear and anxiety? Did you know that like your age group right now, the fear and anxiety that your generation has experienced is equal to that of a 1960s psychiatric patient? That's how much fear and anxiety is weighing on this generation right now. If you're feeling that today, like, it's not, let me tell you, it's not just you. You're not alone. And here's where you know fear and anxiety, by the way, are powerful motivators and voices in your life, even when you don't want them to be. And here's how you know they're actually starting to influence your life. It's when in your head you start asking the what if questions. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, but what if, I mean, yeah, I could do this, but, but what if I miss out on this? Or, or what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And we start convincing us the, that the what ifs of fear and anxiety are going to be what will be's and what is. And then we find ourselves saying, we're out. I can't, I can't do it. I'm, 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 I'm done. In fact, there's a great story in the gospel, the story of the rich young ruler. Anybody ever heard that story? Like he experiences this. If you don't know the story, a guy, a young guy, probably younger than us, he's uh, incredibly wealthy, and yet he sees something in Jesus and his disciples like he wants. Like he wants that life. He's realizing this wealth stuff may not be all that it's cracked up to be. I want to go with him. And so he goes to Jesus, and he says, I want to follow you. And what does Jesus say to this rich young ruler? He says this, that if you want to follow me, I need you to sell all your riches, sell all your stuff, and follow, then you can follow me. And what does this young man do? The Bible says he walks away, but not just walks away. I love this. I'm sad about it. He says he walks away sad. In other words, here's this guy. Like, he wants to follow Jesus. It's all in front of him. He knows that's the life that he needs, but yet he doesn't want to give up his riches because I think he's stuck in the what-if world. What if this doesn't go well? What if this is all that it's not cracked up to be? I can't do it. I'm just going to stay here even though it's not worth it. And how many of you are there tonight? You get it. But here's the good news. In Christ, all of our what-ifs turn to what will-be's and what is. And not the promises of anxiety, but the promises of Christ. That when you say yes to Jesus, yes, there's a cost, but eventually that cost is going to turn into blessing. That cost is going to turn into God's plan and purpose for your life. Not the perfect life, but the abundant life that he has to offer. You just have to wait it out and trust him. You just have to wait. In fact, at the end of the day, it's not even really a cost. It's actually an exchange. I'm going to exchange this old life for something greater, but you have to wait for it. And I wonder how many of you tonight, the reason you're not living faithfully is not because of anybody else's fault. It's just simply because you're not saying yes. You're just not choosing it because you're not sure it's worth the cost. But hear me, guys, look at me. It is always worth the cost. Always. And here's the third and final thing. Faithfulness, if you want to live faithfully, it relies on God's presence and power. So here's what I mean. While we have to choose faithfulness, yes, like in some ways it's on us, we cannot live faithfully by our own willpower alone. See, faithfulness is not a solo act. We have to understand this. It's not all on God, but it's also not all on us. At the end of the day, faithfulness is a partnership between us and God. We're like We do it together. And here's the good news. When we say yes to Jesus, understand, like you and I, we get the fullness of Jesus in us. We get the fullness of God's presence. We don't get 20%. We don't get 40%. We don't get 60%. We don't get a pay now. We'll get more later. You get 100% of God's presence and God's power the moment you say yes to Jesus. You get all of it. 
In fact, here's what Paul says in Romans 8.11. Listen to this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body that you live. That's actually not the scripture we're reading, but that's a good one. Let me turn on 2 Peter. This is what I want you to hear. His divine power has given you, listen to this, everything we need for a godly life. You get the fullness of God's presence and the fullness of God's power, which means that everything that God calls of you in your life, you can do when you're doing it with him. There's nothing you can't do. Think about it. You have the same God in you that calms storms. You have the same God in you that healed blind people. You have the same God that drove out demons. You have the same God in you that literally rose people from the dead. Guys, nothing is impossible with God. There's no call of God on your life that you can't do with God. But here's the reality. While the fullness of God lives in you, how many times do we still try to live our life without Him? Right? Now, God, I got this. I'm good. There's a really, I think it's a funny story in the Gospels of Jesus and the disciples. They're, they're on the lake. They're going to what they call the other side of the lake. And they get into a boat together. It's the 12 disciples and Jesus, 13. And, and in that day, by the way, a boat, don't think cruise ship, it's like a big canoe. The average boat in that time would carry about 14 to 15 people. So it was a pretty crowded boat. And they're going across the lake and the, the Bible says that a storm rose, but it wasn't just a storm. The Greek word is actually where we get the word seismic. So like, this isn't just a storm. This is like the most epic of all storms. Like remember, most of these men were fishermen and they were freaking out. And they're going across the lake and you have like the storm. And, and I can imagine, we don't get the full picture, but I can imagine the disciples, like they're, they got buckets, they're trying to get the water over the thing. And like, they're freaking out. And here's the best part of the story. Jesus is sitting on the front of the boat and he is like, zolt out. Isn't that awesome? They're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. And then Jesus is over here. And what's amazing to me is like, Jesus is literally in the boat. And what are they doing? We're gonna die, we're gonna die. And at this point, like they've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen him heal the blind men. Like they've seen the lame walk. They've seen him rise people from the dead. And they, they, they just totally forget, like he's there. And for whatever reason, they finally realize like we're done. We're gonna die. Oh, there's Jesus. And they go wake him up. Jesus, like, do you not see what's going on here? We're gonna die. And Jesus gets up. He stands up in the boat and he just tells the storm to shh. Everything goes still. It's amazing how we can have Jesus in our life in the boat with us and yet we can still try to do things on our own and we can be failing and dying and yet the one that can give us life is right there with us. Make it a little more personal. My six-year-old was in kindergarten last year and she was learning how to write. And one of the things that when you're learning how to write like letters, they'll have like little dotted lines. Like if you're doing like an R, you'll have that. And your, your job is to trace it. You'll get like four of those. And then you, gotta, then you gotta do it on your own, no tracing. And so she got the tracing down, like she was pretty good at it. But then she got to the blank spots where there was nothing to trace. She just had to do it. And she was struggling. Bless her, she just couldn't figure it out. She was breaking the leg because the pencil was so hard. She was like R's looked like Z's. It was like, it was a hot mess. And I looked at, her name's Leora. I looked at her, I was like, hey baby, can I, can I just, like, I didn't want to take the pencil from her, like, but can I just help you? And she's like, no, let me do it, dad, I got it. Leave me alone. 
And she's like weeping. Like, I feel like a horrible dad because I feel like I'm putting this pressure on her. I'm really just trying to help her. But she's like, I got it. And so I just step away. All right. And it's, it's still just a hot mess. And like, I'm begging her in that moment. Like, Lord, would she just please let me help her? And she's kind of independent too. She wants to please us. And so she wants to do it. And finally, she just looks at me. She's like, Daddy, I can't do this. Will you help? It's like, oh, thank you. And here's what I do. I don't go take the pencil out of her hand. I get right beside her and I put my hand over her hand. I grab the pencil. She's still got it. We're doing it together. And we start like writing the letter R. We write another one. And then I kind of take my, I still got my hand on her. I take a little bit of the pressure off where she's really doing it. She gets it right. Truth is, when we think about our life, guys, we're all writing a story. Letter by letter, word by word, sentence by sentence. And when we find ourselves doing it on our own, man, we're a hot mess. We're breaking the pencil. We're, we're frustrated. We're not getting it right. And here's Jesus just sitting there waiting, saying, God, I want to help. Just, just call on me. And he's waiting for us to say, Jesus, I, I can't do this. But you never said I could. But you can, and you always said you would. Would you help? Would you help? Here's what Jesus is going to do. He's not going to take the pencil out of your hand and do it for you. He's just going to kneel down beside you. He's going to grab you by the hand. He's just going to start guiding you. Letter by letter, word by word, sentence by sentence. So all of a sudden you look up and the story that you've written is an amazing story. Because it's God's story for your life. And maybe some of the reasons some of you are struggling to be faithful tonight, it's not because you don't want to. Not because you haven't chosen to. You just keep trying to do it on your own. And you cannot live a Jesus-sized life without Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. I've been at this long enough, even I think about my own life right now. Um, it's hard to be faithful. And I suspect there's some things in your life right now, man, you're struggling to be faithful. You know what they are. Maybe it's one thing, a sin, a struggle. Maybe it's two things. Or maybe you're back over here like you're literally picking up the whole box and somehow you got here tonight. I'm glad you're here. And we just want to pray for you. We want to pray the presence and power of God in your life. And so I'm going to invite the prayer team if they'll come forward. I'm going to be up here too. And when you come up here, I, we're going to take it as a, as a sign that you're struggling with some, being faithful in something. Hey, and, and guys, look at me. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame. Like everybody in this room could technically come up. You don't have to, but we could all come up. And what I want you to share with the prayer team at Barry, you can share what your, your unfaithfulness is. That's up to you. I think there's power in confession. There's healing in confession. But I want you to share which of these three is keeping you from being unfaithful. Is it because you've forgotten that you're forgiven and you're walking in guilt and shame? Maybe you're there. Is it because if you're being honest, like, I'm just not choosing it. I, like, I want to go back to my old life, but I need to choose that one. Or is it that you're really, really trying and somewhere along the way, you just haven't asked Jesus for help? Maybe it's two or three of those. That's what we want to pray for tonight. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Maybe you're here tonight, and the truth is you're struggling to be faithful because you just haven't cared. Like, you haven't even asked Jesus in your life. Like, who's Jesus? I'm doing my own thing. And you're like, man, the life you talked about, I don't have, bro, but I want that. And your starting place tonight is simply to ask Jesus in your life in the first place to be the person that's coming to the toy box, throws everything in and says, God, I'm all in. 
And so we ask you to come up too and we'll pray the prayer of salvation for you so you can take those next steps. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna let this time be you. I encourage you to come forward. I'll be here. Our prayer team will be here as well. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that even when we're not faithful, you are. That you are God and you are good. That you never give up on us. That we're never separated from the love of Christ and Jesus. God, we wanna live faithful. And in a culture that we live in, God, it just seems to be getting harder and harder every single day. There's so many voices, so many agendas out there pushing us to live different than the way we're called to. And God, we confess we're struggling that way too often we lean towards the voice of the enemy. We lean towards the voice of the culture, God, that we're in that place that Paul was, that I have things I wanna do that I need to do and I don't do them. And there are things that I don't wanna do and yet I keep on doing them. God, we wanna be done with that. Tell us in your word the way that we're done is you. The same Jesus that got us over the starting line is the one that get us to the finish line and over it. So we're seeking that tonight. So Lord, let us be bold. Let us be bold in our confession. Let us be bold in our asking. And God, I believe if we'll do that, you say in your word, if we'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so we're asking that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12stuff. One of the best ways to get connected with others and grow in your relationship with God is jumping into a small group. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small groups and search college. We hope to see you next week.